This is the capstone of the great 50 days of Easter, the Feast of Pentecost, where we celebrate the transfer of the Holy Spirit of God from the person of Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry to the people of God we call the church. And we now become the beneficiaries and the fiduciaries of the Holy Spirit. So in my sermon today, I want to say a couple of general things about uh, Pentecost, the feast, and the end of the great 50 days, and then to speak specifically about the reading from the book of Acts, where we have the famous story of the coming of the Holy Spirit on the apostles and the disciples in the upper room, and then from Paul, where he speaks today about how we have now been constituted uh, as the result of the possession of the Holy Spirit of God. And then we might want to check on some things to see if through God's Holy Spirit uh, we can find out whether any of us at any time has made any spiritual progress of any kind. <clears throat> Father Thomas Keating says in his book, The Mystery of Christ, The Liturgy is Spiritual Experience, each feast of the liturgical year is both an event to be celebrated and a grace to be received. The grace of Christmas is to know Christ in his humanity. The grace of Epiphany is to know Christ in his divinity. The grace of Holy Week is to know him in his emptying and dying. The grace of Easter is to know him in his triumph over sin and death. The grace of the Ascension is to know him as the cosmic Christ. It is to know the glorified Christ who has passed not into some geographical location, but into the heart of all creation. And now we have access through that process directly to his spirit. And the grace of Pentecost is to know that Christ is all in all and to know his spirit, the ongoing promise of the Father. <clears throat> so in the book of Acts, we have today this well-known story of the coming of the Holy Spirit on the apostles and the disciples. And the first thing that happens as the result of this is that they come out of the upper room and they begin to speak and when they speak, all of the people there in the crowd understand them completely, no matter what language they speak. So this is a story about universal understanding. It is a story understanding the Spirit of God as unitive being, that aspect of the Trinity that seeks always to bring to reconciliation and wholeness the whole of humanity. And so they now speak in such a way as to be understood no matter what the language is of the people there. There's occasionally been times when some Christian people have confused what went on and believed that the apostles and the disciples came out of the upper room and that they were speaking in ecstatic speech, uh, speaking in tongues. The technical term for that is glossolalia. Let's all say that together now. <laughs> glossolalia. That's a great word to keep on ice, isn't it? 
but the importance of the centrality of ecstatic speech was not thought to be uh, absolutely essential in the Christian faith and life, I think, until 1904 in Azusa, California. More on that another time. <laughs> Maybe Episcopalian 101, we can talk a little bit about that. Everybody understood everybody else. So Luke, the author of the Acts of the Apostles, remember Luke wrote two volumes that are in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel according to St. Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. And so in this, Luke is trying to make some connections. The Feast of Pentecost brings to a conclusion the great 50 days where four major themes have been present throughout the great 50 days of Easter. The illuminative processes of God, symbolized by the presence of the Paschal candle in the sanctuary, which understands God's light to be both external, something that shows us the way in the darkness, and something that is internal, that shines inside of every human person, in such a way as to illuminate those aspects of our character that are godly and that, see, that are seeking to serve God's purposes, whatever they may be, and those aspects of our character that we understand need reformation and how we can see more clearly about who we are and what we need to do. And then we read in the biblical witness, in both the Hebrew Bible and in the Christian scriptures, about what it is that we understand to be the history of salvation and that we are now part of the history of salvation. And then during the great 50 days, we focus on the importance of baptism in the life of the church and of being fed by that spiritual food and drink of the Eucharist on a weekly basis to give us the spiritual strength to be God's people in the world. So Luke writes about Jesus and the Holy Spirit in Luke's Gospel. And in the book of Acts, he writes about the Holy Spirit of God at work in the hearts of all faithful people. And today, in this story, he's telling us about something now that has been reversed, or at least the processes of God are at work in the hearts of faithful people to reverse this. And that, that is the consequences of what occurred in the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis, where the people who believed both in the, the uh, uh, infallibility of their architectural skills and also of their engineering uh, qualities to build a tower that was going to go all the way up into heaven where God was. And God believed that this was... Uh, an act of pride that was not healthy. And so in the story, he confuses their speech. Now, mainly, this is a story for the people who heard it and read it, was how come we have all these different languages? See? Is this something God did or is this something we did? And what does it have to do with the way in which we understand uh, the unifying power of the Spirit of God? So the people who read this story the first time began to say, you know what, Christian people, as they encounter 
um, multiplicity need to be uh, unifiers. And they need to understand that Christian people are about reconciliation. What is, does it say in the Book of Common Prayer about the mission of the church? Page 855. The mission of the church is to restore all people to unity with God and each other in Christ. And the processes that produce that are the presence of the Spirit of God, both in the collectivity we call the church, the community, but also within us. This unifying process of the Spirit is not merely some pious idea theologically. It is the process that enables each one of us to bring into unity the demons and, that are within us and at war with our members that Paul speaks of in his letters. And so in the reading from the book of Acts, we have the story of the reversal of the confusion of the people's understanding about who they are and what they should do. And you know, the Christian church at its best has always labored to do that. And in spite of going down many roads and many cul-de-sacs through its history, it has always held the view that that's a possibility. You know, Christianity is very idealistic. Some years ago, they did a study about uh, the healthiest clergy in the Episcopal Church, which to some may appear to be an oxymoron. But one of the things they found was is that they, had, uh, a, they were realistic about their idealism. They were re realistic about their idealism. And of course, the important thing there is to understand we don't let go of our idealism and lapse into cynicism. If there's anybody in the world who should be optimistic and idealistic, it are, it's Christian men and women. And a text like this reminds us of that, that thing, that great idea of great importance. So Paul today in Romans is speaking about the processes of the spirit. What kind of spirit have we received? And he says in this reading that we have not received a spirit of slavery. We have received a spirit of adoption where we now become children of God. It is a centerpiece of Christian theology, certainly of Anglican theology, that what Jesus Christ is by nature, we become through adoption and grace at our baptism. And through by that process, we now can act in uniformity with God's purposes in our lives. We are able to do that. It is another affirmation of Father Thomas Keating's famous line. We are not God, but our true self is God. And we come now to realize that because we have received a spirit of adoption. Like Jesus, we are now one of God's children. And vested with all the graces, all of the opportunities, and all of the challenges. So how would you know 
If you were making any spiritual progress in your life, where would you check? Where would you, where would you uh, find where that might be possible? And one of the ways that people do this when they uh, are serious about um, looking at their life in an intentional way, in the recovery movement they refer to that as a fearless and searching moral inventory. So when you do that, how would you know whether there's any progress being made? Well, one of the places that we look uh, are uh, what we call the fruits of the Spirit. What has the church in its pastoral experience, in the life of prayer of individuals and communities, in the way in which we have uh, understood people's lived experience, what have we learned from that? And we have learned that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So I would guess that if any of us are able, even from time to time, to uh, say, well, it's become a little bit easier for me to be patient, to uh, tolerate fools a little more gladly than I had before, to love better, to be joyful. You know, joyful, remember, is not giddy hilarity. It isn't Snoopy in the Peanuts cartoon. Joy is the sure and steady confidence that the uncertainties and ambiguities and conundrums of life will come into surer and clearer focus as you live and seek to know God's purpose for you. So the fruits of the Spirit constitute in some way a template that we lay over our own spiritual growth growth and development. But here's the important thing to understand. When we receive the spirit of adoption and grace through our baptism, we do not now become robots or are required to march in lockstep to some imaginary idea of what God's purposes are for us. It is the spontaneous expression of the fruits of the spirit that enable us to know God's purposes being an authentic human being, you know, and something that you do uh, and don't even think of it. Everybody in this church has at least once in their life had an experience where all of a sudden they said, you know, I have just spent this length of time and I haven't thought once about myself. I've totally been focused outward. I have been willing to extend I have understood that uh, I'm going to take other people seriously. Don't think about this in heroic terms only. Because some days each of us are going to be called maybe to do something heroic. But in terms of the ordinary and commonplace aspects of our lives, we need to be willing to see when were those times when we were able to forget ourselves and do God's work in the world. So always remember that about 
the fruits of the Spirit. The reason why this must spring from our spontaneity and from the ordinary lived experience of people is, as Father Keating says, the Spirit is always present, yet always coming. That is because the divine actuality becomes present in a new way each time we move to a new level of spiritual awareness. Dennis the Menace, many years ago in one of the cartoons, said to Mr. Wilson, You know, if I'd have known when I was three years old what I know now at seven, I'd have had a better time. <laughs> that was a little insight into what it means uh, when we look back on our own personal experience. So this week, give thanks for the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in the life of the church. Give thanks for being someone who has now uh, become what Jesus is by nature through adoption and grace. Give thanks for the opportunity to be an ambassador for the fruits of the Spirit, a missionary for the reconciliation of the world with God and each other in Christ. Now, it's a big task, but the Spirit makes us up to it. Amen.